Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Welcome back, future doctors. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode. Today, I am so pleased to have a guest physician on. Her name is Kavehi Ao, and she was born in Honolulu, Hawaii, to a Hawaiian dad and a Maori Danish mother. She's lived in Utah most of her life, and she decided she wanted to become a doctor when she was quite young, around five years old. And she'll tell us a little bit more about that story herself. She got a Bachelor's of Science in Mathematics with a minor in biochemistry from BYU-Hawaii and an MD from the University of Utah School of Medicine. She completed a residency in internal medicine and pediatrics at Loma Linda University Medical Center and is board certified in both. She was a pediatric hospitalist for many years, uh, but in order to be home with her daughter at night, she switched over to clinic duties and currently works at a student health center. And she also recently married a wonderful man and has a new daughter as well. So welcome to our podcast, Kavehi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like what kind of doctor are you right now? I am just trying to be the best doctor that I can. I'm a doctor that's learning a lot as I have switched over from hospital medicine to primary care. It's a big difference. I didn't know there would be such a big difference in the types of things that I see and do, but I'm an internist. So I see adults and I'm pediatrician. So I see babies as well. Well, babies and children and adolescents. So Uh kind of the full spectrum, except for, I don't see anyone who's pregnant. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. (laughs) That it slipped through to me a few times. (laughs) Uh Yeah. That's amazing. You're, you know, you're double board certified. So internal medicine and pediatrics. I thought about doing that for a while when I was in medical school, but I got a little intimidated. So I didn't But I love that you're doing that. Um, And you have stepped into both worlds as a pediatric hospitalist before and now working more with adults at a student health center. Let's go back a little bit. So what what was your work like when you were a pediatric hospitalist? Oh, man, I loved it because it was an extension of residency. So the specialty of internal medicine and pediatrics most of the time is spent in the hospital. Um, And we have a little bit of time for clinic and like electives. So I just really like seeing them through the process of like admission to like figuring out what's going on, treating it, and then discharging them once whatever they came into the hospital for is under control. So that's basically what I did as a pediatric hospitalist. And you're seeing people at really scary times of their lives, especially when they're kids, you know, they're really worried about their child being hospitalized and being sick enough to be in the hospital. And now I'm in primary care, so it's quite a different day. Most of my day is spent taking care of mental health, and I actually really enjoy that. But I see lots of other stuff as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. And I feel like sometimes college students are this sort of underserved population because they're, you know, they've moved away from home lots of times, but they're not quite adults and on their own, you know, so, but they really need care and good quality care, just like anyone else. So I love that you're serving that population. What is a typical work day like for you now? Okay, so start work at eight o'clock in the morning and I see patients mostly every 15 minutes, but there are certain visits that take 30 minutes. And so 
whatever they come in for, I see them for that. My workday is like pretty short because we skip lunch and we kind of just work through so that we can get off earlier and get home to our families. (laughs) So I like that. But what I really like about college students is they're really interested in their health as far as they like to know what's behind what's going on. They like to learn. So I've actually made a lot of PowerPoints and show a lot of pictures to kind of help them see like anatomically what's going on or what I'm thinking about their complaints and what I think could be going on. So it's really fun because I get to do a lot of teaching and I miss that because when I was a hospitalist, I was in charge of education of the residents on our team and the medical students. Mm-hmm. I don't get to do that as much anymore, but I found a way to, to keep teaching and students seem to like learning about their bodies. So I love it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's wonderful. I have this image of you, you know, in your exam room, like with a PowerPoint. That's awesome. Because I think, you know, that's empowering to have your doctor teaching you why they're doing what they're doing or why they're recommending what they're recommending. So I I love that. And I'm sure they love it too. All right, let's backtrack a little bit and talk about your upbringing. Tell us about your background. Where are you from? What was it like growing up uh, for you? Okay, so three out of my four grandparents were teachers. My dad's parents both went back to school like later in life because my grandfather was in the military. Like he was, well, he's in the National Guard. And So he became a PE teacher later in life, and my grandmother taught elementary school. So education was always really important to them. We moved here to Utah. My dad had a bachelor's degree, but decided he wanted to get a master's. So we moved here to Utah when I was little, and he got a master's degree. My mom went back to college after she raised the four of us kids, and she got a master's degree as well. So it's always kind of been drilled into us that, you know, you need to get an education, learn as much as you can, because that's all you can take with you, (laughs) you know? So my dad, he encouraged us, well, we weren't allowed to work um, during the school year. So we had summer jobs. I lifeguarded during the summers, but during the school year, my dad said, our job is to get good grades so that we could get scholarships and get college paid for, because he wasn't planning on paying for college for all of us. (laughs) Like we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So actually all four of us got academic scholarships to go to college. So I think my parents' philosophy paid off. And I've noticed that like with some other Pacific Islanders I've talked to, their parents came here for more opportunities, but socioeconomically, it's really intimidating for them to go to um, get higher degrees. I've had at least two Tongan friends whose families like wanted them to get a higher degree, but also expected them to be at like, you know, every family function and be helping in the family business. And so one of my friends from college was really surprised to see me in California and know that I was doing a residency because he had wanted to, he wanted to be a pharmacist, but he, he got stuck doing something that he wasn't excited about, but kind of had to do it for his family to make sure that they had a roof over their heads and stuff. So I think my dad made a lot of sacrifices. He, he didn't do something that he grew up wanting to do. He did something that he knew would like be something that he could support his family with. And I think um, while, you know, I really appreciate his sacrifice, I also appreciate that he like would encourage us to, you know, go to school and do what it, whatever it is that we wanted to do mm-hmm. <laughs> that would make us happy. So yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest thing in my upbringing that mm-hmm. led me to where I am today. Yeah, great. Then that's wonderful that you had at least a parent that was really encouraging you educationally and pushing you in that direction. Um, even if they said, well, we don't have money, you're going to figure it out. But still, that's that's an encouragement. That's a push. 
So tell me a little bit about where was this seed planted for you about being a doctor? I think it was when you were really young. Is that right? Yeah. So my grandma um, married my step-grandfather like later in life and they hadn't been married long. Then he started having trouble walking. He's like tripping. So he got diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, also known as ALS. And we, you know, as a young kid, I was helping to take care of him. And I remember one day I came home and I told my dad, I'm like, I want to be a nurse because I want to take care of people when I grow up. And my dad's like, why don't you be a doctor? And I was like, oh, okay. And so like, he kind of just planted that seed in me and helped me see like, oh, that was something that was possible for me because I had never seen anyone that looked like me as a physician. And so that's, that's where that whole thing started was with my dad. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You had a great dad. It sounds like. <laughs> really oh, yeah, he's awesome. Oh, that's wonderful. So. You said you mentioned something really important that I hear a lot that, you know, you didn't see anyone that looked like you growing up that was a doctor. And a lot of underrepresented minority students face the same challenge that they don't see themselves or their experiences, their background, their family types reflected in the medical profession, at least very often. So how did you kind of push past that barrier and get to medicine anyway? Um, That was... That was a journey because I think there are a lot of times that I doubted myself. I started school, so I got scholarships to go to a couple schools here in Utah, but my dad wanted me to go to BYU because he felt like that was the right place for me. And I started out there. And when I got there, I felt, you know, like I think a lot of students feel that way when they go to college because I graduated very near the top of my class. I think it was the top four because I had one A minus. And so I, I, I like left high school feeling pretty confident that I was like, I could achieve whatever I wanted to achieve. And then I got to college and I felt like there was a lot of competition and like kind of, I wouldn't say, well, yeah, I guess like people trying to push each other down more and like, we're more interested in like, if they did better than you, then, you know, like kind of supporting the greater good and being supportive of each other. So after my first year at BYU, and I'm not saying this is the same experience for everybody, that's just how it was for me. Uh I decided I'm like, this is not where I want to be. And I didn't keep my scholarship. I was supposed to keep like a 3.9 and I didn't (laughs) because I just, I don't know. So I transferred to BYU Hawaii and that was the best decision for me. It's a smaller school. It's, you know, everybody looks like me (laughs) and it was a much more supportive environment. Like my teachers would have us at their homes, like my math professor, like a lot of my math classes only had like 10 people in them. Wow. And so a math professor would have us up at his house, um, help us with our theories, you know, just, it was just way more supportive. And when I um, finally started like studying for the MCAT, there was a group of other Pacific Islanders um, that were studying for the MCAT as well. And we'd see each other in the library every day and support each other. And when I took the MCAT, People look, look who looked like me were sitting right next to me in that room. And I just felt like, I don't know, it just felt like that's where I needed to be because we all like helped and supported each other and believed in each other. And that's just what I needed. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. And I, I think, you know, your story kind of highlights one of the differences between a really big school and kind of a smaller school as a college or university. That sometimes in those smaller schools, I've seen that too among my own friends and colleagues, you get more support. Um, in general, because it's those smaller classes, you're not sitting in a lecture hall of 300 people <laughs> and look around and see hardly anyone like you and you just feel more of that competition. So that's great that you were able to find that kind of environment that really nurtured your college education. 
And then you, you know, you majored in math and you minored in biochemistry. That's amazing. So it's interesting because you um, majored in these other things, mathematics, but then became a physician. How did you choose that major? What interested you about math and biochemistry? I've always loved math. I love that it's like, it's either right or it's wrong. It's, it's like math is truth, right? So I just, and I remember thinking like, you know, since I, it, since it's something that I enjoy, if I decide not to go into medicine or if it doesn't work out for me, like I am majoring in something that I enjoy and I can do something with, like I could be a math teacher or something, you know, and I, I probably would have enjoyed that too. My mom is a math teacher and encouraged me not to do that because of all the politics involved. In that. Ah, I see. But, um, I, I do encourage people. I've heard students say like, oh, I majored in psychology because that's what they say you should major in. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you don't major in things to check off a box. You major in something that you enjoy and that brings you happiness. And that is something that you could do if you decide not to go. Cause you know, I've met so many students already that I work with that um, they're like three or four years into this major that they don't like uh-huh. <laughs> and they feel stuck. And they've invested all this time and energy and years of their life. So I feel like, you know, do something that you enjoy mm-hmm. that you can find yourself doing. <laughs> that is excellent, excellent advice. And I absolutely echo that. So you ended up back here in Utah for medical school at the University of Utah. What was medical school like for you? Oh, I loved it. It was some of the best four years of my life. I loved it so much. I had a really supportive group um, with me. Just really good friends. We studied together. We ate together. Um, I just like the first day we, they walked up to me and said, are you Hawaiian? And I'm like, yeah, how can you tell? And they're like, oh, your slippers, you know, like the, just the shoes that I was wearing. Uh-huh. They're the two Mexican students in my class. And then we just kind of had like a bigger group from there, um, mostly um, minority students uh-huh. and just kind of supported each other through school. I loved medical school just because you get a big range of like, you get to see everything. Mm-hmm. And I miss that. I miss like just being able to say like, oh, I'm going to do shock trauma this month. And then next month I'm going to do ortho because I'll never get to see those things again. So I chose things like that, that I wouldn't really get to do later on in my career, just because you get to go and see anything you want in the hospital. And it's super, super cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's true. Medical school, I tend to remember the hard parts, but there were also incredible parts. You get to learn so much. You get to see so much. I wish I could go back to an operating room and just watch some surgeries because that was really neat to do. And now I'm kind of, you know, I love my job, but you know, now I'm specialized and I have the thing that I do every day. So I like your positive uh, memories of medical school. I wouldn't say that I have those positive memories of residency. Ah, okay. Okay. Well, moving on. My next question was, you then went on to do medicine and pediatrics residency together. And that's four years. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. What was residency like for you? And you did your residency at Loma Linda in California, correct? Yeah. I would say it was probably the hardest four years of my life. Mm-hmm. Not the happiest. Like, You work so much, you have like four days off a month and you're like a zombie on those days because you're on call every three to four nights. And like on my call nights, at least on the medicine side, hardly ever sat down, like didn't really get get, like rarely, rarely got to go lie down, Mm -hmm. just constant admissions because medicine is probably the busiest service in any hospital you go to, followed probably by surgery. I don't know. It's just, it was just really hard mentally and emotionally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was like scary. I just remember like, okay, I'm a second year resident and I'm in charge of the ICU now. Like, Uh 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know. Uh, it was nuts. Oh, I remember but that feeling too. It was cool. There were a lot of really cool experiences, but it was it was hard. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So given the challenges of residency, how did you get yourself through? What what kind of, you know, psychological strength did you rely on? Um, self-care, anything else? How did you get yourself through? I rode my bike a lot out in Huntington Beach and that helped a lot. Uh-huh. Good. <laughs> any, any chance I'd get, I'd go down to San Diego or Huntington Beach and just like bike, like along the coast or, you know, just eat good food, Uh (laughs) enjoy the breeze. Like just, that's how I got through. I feel like. Yeah. At the end of those four years, did you look back and think, oh my gosh, I've grown by leaps and bounds. Like this was really hard, but could you see how much you had learned and grown? I couldn't always see it, but my attendings did. They're like, you know, you started out like, you know, your confidence was like this and you were like scared to ride a Tylenol order. And, (laughs) and here you are. Like you've really grown a lot. And I'm like, yeah, you know what I have? Because I just remember like my first night being senior resident, I was like scared out of my mind. I was like, I can't believe they're like making me do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> you get through it night, you know, like one call night at a time and then your knowledge grows and your confidence grows. Like I don't, I, I don't ever encourage anyone to be overconfident, mm-hmm. big no, no, but like, just like trusting yourself and, you know, being willing and humble enough to ask questions of others when you need to and knowing your limits, but just relying on the nurses that have a lot of experience. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. You got to be nice to the nurses. They're a huge resource (laughs) during residency. So moving past residency to your um, first job, how did you choose? so So you could have done internal medicine or pediatrics and you chose pediatric hospitalist. What influenced that decision for you? I'm not going to lie. Like I love children. (laughs) Like I would way rather work with children just because I feel like they're still teachable. And and a lot of like the internal medicine patients I took care of, like were just having such a hard time making the changes they needed to support their health. And I, I get that I'm an adult and I have a hard time with that type of thing too. But I also kids are so positive. Like Mm -hmm. we'll be taking care of a child who has what we call a pleural effusion. Like fluid all around the outside of their lung after having a really bad pneumonia and they've got a chest tube stuck in their side to drain it out. And you walk in and they smile at you. Uh-huh. Whereas like, I feel like adults, like we get yeah. cold and we're like miserable. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just love kids. And I've always wanted to be a pediatrician. The internal medicine thing came after like, you know, seeing all this cool stuff during medical school and thinking like, I don't want to not see this stuff anymore. And I just kind of like, Oh, I, I can do both. I didn't know I could do both. So I add that on after during residency, one of my attendings from when I was a medical student called and told me like, oh, there's this, I heard you want to be a pediatric hospitalist. I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to work nights and weekends anymore. But he's uh-huh. like, oh, no, no, no. Like you won't have to work that many nights or weekends, at least in the beginning. But as our program grows, like you will probably start having to work nights and weekends. And and I did for a while, but um, my situation became that I, I needed because my daughter's dad like ended up out of the country and unable to like take care of her for a long period of time. And so mm-hmm. I had to get a job that I could be home with her at night because I was having to take her to the hospital and have her sleep in my call room. And that was just yeah. not good. <laughs> That'd be tough. Yeah. So, <laughs> On a little yeah. kid. Yeah. So that's why I switched. Gotcha. How do you think that your background influenced your decision to pursue medicine and then, you know, your practice of medicine even to now? I think because um, 
Many Pacific Islanders face a lot of health disparities, and I wanted that to change, like my grandma. I have a hard time talking about her without crying because <laughs> I love her so much. But um, she passed away within the past couple of years from um, diabetes. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about her and her approach to diabetes was, you know, she, she was really wary of Western medicine. Like she read this book, and I can't even remember the guy's name that wrote it. He wrote in there that insulin was poison. And so she was like convinced that she should never be on insulin. So oh, wow! But she did her best to eat well and exercise. Like my grandma was always out there like exercising. So I just wanted to learn as much as I could and be able to teach her and, you know, other Pacific Islanders that, oh, this isn't something you need to be scared of. There's a lot of research behind it. It's really helpful. It's been shown to do this, you know, just just to be able to have them see like someone that looks like them um, to be able to like be able to explain to them like what's behind what their doctor is recommending. Mm -hmm. And also just to understand culturally, like why they might be hesitant to do this or that. Like Mm -hmm. my grandma told her doctor many times that I don't take that medicine because it hurts my stomach. It causes, you know, like stomach upset, you know, it's metformin that I'm talking about. Yeah. And all they did was just keep increasing her dose. <laughs> well, she's not taking it. So increasing the dose is not going to help. Right. So I think just like being able to understand people who look like us, be able to communicate with them better, be able, be able to listen to them and validate their feelings and wishes on things is probably the main reason why I went into internal medicine too. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that story. Uh, one of the the things that I really see in my career is just the, the the connection that I'm able to make with people who share maybe my background as a Latina and um, not necessarily just people f- from Mexico where my parents were from, but like all Latin American countries. And once they see I speak Spanish, there's this just automatic connection. Or once they see that I'm, you know, have a certain cultural background, there's this automatic connection and this trust too. Have you had experience? I'm sure you've had experiences like that <laughs> through your career. What comes to to your memory? Like, what's something you could share about how you've been able to connect with certain people because of your background? Yeah, I had a little girl who um, ended up having. She's a little Tongan girl. Started having seizures when she was six weeks old, and I was able to really connect with her mom and help her navigate the medical field. And I was actually able to help her recently with her own mom because her mom got sent home in hospice while her mom was still able to like walk and talk. And they were telling her like, oh, you can't do dialysis anymore in hospice. And like, she just really felt like she wasn't being being given all the options. Uh So that was something that I really am grateful for, like that connection that I have with her through our backgrounds and our culture and being able to help her navigate through the medical system, like a very complex thing for most of us. Uh Uh-huh. And it sounds like she really trusted you with those things. That's wonderful. If you could go back and talk to your younger self from a long time ago, whether it was in high school, college, medical school, what would you say or what advice would you give? Surround myself. I'd say find a mentor. (laughs) That was the other thing about going to BYU Hawaii is one of my good friends. Her dad is a doctor. And I didn't realize that like when we were younger that her dad was a doctor, Uh like something that they like flaunt or like, you know, but um, I had a lot of good um, conversations and interactions with them. Like even like when I was considering like, oh, maybe I'll be a PA because one thing I like about PA, you know, physician assistant is you're not stuck in one specialty. You can like move around because 
I'm so interested in so many things. It's uh-huh. you know hard to like just pick one specialty. And with being a PA, like you can change specialties without having to do a full residency. But he kind of talked me out of that. Yeah, <laughs> he, me why he thought I should be a physician. <laughs> like I don't know. It was just really nice to have someone to talk to. There was a point where there was a man. I worked at a hospital in Hawaii when I was in college. And one of the ER docs was introducing me to this new nurse manager who happened to be a white male in his fifties. Mm-hmm. The first thing that comes out of his mouth, cause they said, Oh, Kavei wants to go to medical school one day. And I'm not even joking. What came out of his mouth to me, the first time meeting me was like, are you going to go to one of those obscure medical schools, like out in the Caribbean? That's what oh he my said to goodness. Me. I know. And I remember thinking what? like, I said like, what? Uh, and he's like, where are you getting so offended for? And I'm like, did you ask me that because I'm brown or because I'm female? Like, why, are you, why would you say that? And he's like, I don't know what you're getting so offended for. He was kind of like blaming me for what? So I had to call one of my friends that was in law school. He's someone. And I was like, hey, am I taking this wrong? Am I being too easily offended? And he's like, no, absolutely. Like, there's nothing else that would mean. <laughs> so, so like, I would tell myself, like, shut down the naysayers. <laughs> Keep your head down. And just put one foot in front of the other, get a good supportive group around you. And, you know, thank goodness I found a good mentor, but anyone here, I would recommend you find a mentor that can kind of help you navigate those types of situations because those things can really cause some self-doubt. I think someone expects so little of you when they've just met you within about five, like within about five seconds of meeting you has this idea of your level of intelligence and your Mm -hmm ability to succeed, I think it'd be really difficult for some of us to navigate. And I, and I know it is just because I've talked to a lot of students where I work that have felt the same way. Mm-hmm. Just having people to help you get you th- through that, I think uh-huh. is really important. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. And it sounds like because you work in a student health center now, you're in close proximity to a lot of pre-med students, I imagine, and you get to be a mentor to them. Tell me a little more about some of the things that you see them struggling with, some of the mistakes maybe you see them making, and maybe some tips, you know, what's some of the common advice you give to your mentees? Okay. I think the most common advice I give to them is to not overschedule themselves, to get eight hours of sleep a night and go to bed at a reasonable hour Uh and exercise every day. And some of them, like I just spoke to like the pre-med group there not long ago and they're like, how can you survive med school without pulling all nighters? And I'm like, that's how you survive med school is you don't pull all nighters. <laughs> like you get good sleep. So your brain works better. I'm like, you'll have more efficient studying time and you'll have better recall if you let your brain rest. And I like, I can't recall ever not sleeping from like 11 to seven <laughs> when I was in med school until, until like rotations where you have to stay up all night. But like, I, I always got good sleep and I exercised every day. And I feel like that gave me a strong mind and a strong body to be able to do what I needed to do. Uh That's probably my most common advice. But like, as far as helping them get through that, I think it's just being a listening ear and letting them know like, I understand what you, I understand what you're talking about. Because even, even now, like, I have like white males who will tell me like, oh, well, they'll ask first, what medical school did you go to? And I'll tell them. And they'll say like, well, I didn't even apply to that one because I'm a white male. And I'm like, oh, you should, because most of the class is white males. <laughs> I'm like, you know, like I, I just, it's kind of like, they assume that I got in because I'm brown and I'm female. Oh. And I'm, I'm guessing you've probably experienced that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just from yeah. the sheer amount of times I've experienced it. I, there's like no way that you haven't. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, oh, absolutely. Um, it's kind of cool because where I work, there are three of us that are female and of color. That's amazing. What a great environment for you. Yeah. I think just like validating their experiences and calming their fears. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. You, know, like, you can That's do this. a lot of it. Yeah. I think there's a lot of fear during those pre-med years. I mean, I was just bathed in fear and panic during my pre-med years because you just, especially, you know, being a minority, being a female, having grown up poor, it's like, you don't, I didn't see people like me achieve success on this path. And so there was a lot of self-doubt, a lot of self-doubt. And I think I love your message to students is, um, just put one foot in front of the other, right? <laughs> just keep going. Like you can do this. And I always tell students, stop the doubting, just do it. Right. Because the doubting just makes it harder. And of course it's easier said than done. But if I could go back in time, I would tell myself, you know, let go of this fear, let go of this doubt, keep going. And you're going to get exactly where you want to go. Yeah. Because like the journey is amazing. And then like, I don't know, like so many amazing experience of connecting with people. Like mm-hmm. I've gotten to hold people's hands while they're passing away. I've gotten to hold a baby in the NICU um, and, you know, that passed away waiting for the mom to come. I mean, there's just really sacred moments that I never would have been able to experience if I didn't like make it through <laughs> those hard times. You know what I mean? It's just a really special profession that we have. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I agree. There's sadness, but also on the opposite end of that, there's a lot of joy (laughs) and uh, it's a huge privilege to be able to be with people in some of the more difficult moments of their lives and some of the more joyful moments of their lives. Any other advice just to kind of wrap up, like any other advice you would give to younger people who are considering a career in medicine or maybe just in the middle of those difficult pre-med years or looking forward to applying to medical school? Yeah. Don't do it if you're looking for something like good pay. That's definitely not the like the reason you'd want to go into medicine. There are so many other things if like, you know, good pay is what you're after. There are so many other things you can do that you can go into way less debt for. Uh-huh. Do it if you feel like it's something that you would enjoy and that you can contribute to. Like that's that's all I can say cuz it's it's a long road. It is not easy, but if it's really what you want to do, like the rewards are <laughs> amazing. So just make sure, you know, like you shadow and you, you know, follow some physicians around and you talk to a few before you decide you want to go into it. Like where I did my residency, first year students had to come spend a week on the wards with us, which is on the wards just means that you go and, you know, round on patients, like meaning you see patients in the hospital and they say like every year, like one or two will drop out because they decide, okay, this is not for me. So before you like go and go through that whole application process, really make sure it's something you want to do. Definitely. Definitely. And well, one of, I guess it's a good and bad thing. Schools are getting more and more competitive and they're really expecting a lot more clinical experience these days. So just shadowing a doctor for 20 hours is not going to cut it anymore. That doesn't give you enough of an understanding of what it's like to be a physician. So go do those things. Shadow, but also work in a clinic, volunteer in a free clinic, do other stuff that puts you in close proximity to physicians and patients so that you really get a a good look at what it's like and talk to people. Yeah, because 
and get a good variety of shadowing opportunities. You may yeah. like hate the OR, but you might love clinic or vice versa. So yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Kavehi, for being on this episode, for sharing your story, sharing your passion, sharing the good, the bad and the ugly about medicine and for the advice since you have, you know, you work with students um, and you know <laughs> what some of the challenges they face are. So thank you so much for being on today. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're awesome for doing this. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks to all of our listeners and take care until next time.